Praise the Lord, everybody. I uh, appreciate all the, the kind words that Brother Harold spoke. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it's a, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, so many memories and so many emotions just kind of flood my, my mind. Uh, I was in your prayer room, and uh, I know Sister Deaton is gone, but I don't know who did it, but it just has her touch. Uh, it just has her touch. Uh, in there, and I just began to think about her a lot, and uh, seeing all of you. I want to just say, first of all, uh, give honor to Pastor and Sister Deaton and Audrey and Maximus. Um, I, 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 I'm thankful that Pastor Deaton has gotten away, and uh, he probably needs to break. And. Uh, I want to give honor to all of you that are here that have been here for so long and just have stuck it out. Uh, give honor to my brother Chuck. Uh, I appreciate him very much. And um, I want to say I'm thankful that the back wall is black. I don't know how long it's been black, but when it was white, it was just a lot of white. And so <laughs> we're thankful that somebody painted the wall. Whoever painted the wall, we give honor to you. And I also am thankful uh, for the spirit of worship because I had a dream last night, and in my dream, I was outside of the sanctuary when service had begun, and you were playing Viking music for worship. <laughs> and so I'm thankful there was no Viking music playing this morning when I came in. Uh, I really am. I was, I was disturbed in my dream. There were a few people worshiping to that. Uh, it is a privilege to be here. It really, uh, truly is. And uh, I do believe I, I, I have what the Lord has laid upon my heart for you today. And I want to say that I'm not going to preach to you. I want to preach to the church collectively, globally. But you're the ones that are here. And uh, I do believe that the Lord really wants to get our attention today um i'm going to ask you in just a moment to stand and pray for me but one of the things that drives me is and uh i i just see that the return of the lord is nearer than ever before yep. and I, I i see a lot of churches uh who really are struggling to hold on to truth and struggling to, and is being replaced with something that I'll talk about here in a little bit. And uh, it's just a passion of mine that helps me and pushes me and pushes me to keep my own self in line as very best as I can. So would you stand and I want you to pray with me that the Lord would continue to be in this house today. And that the Lord would be with us as we preach and that the Lord would Help us to receive and to apply what I felt like God has laid upon my heart today. Would you, would you lift your hands and just cry out loud to him one more time? Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you, God, for this privilege to be in this house today. I thank you, Lord, for every person that's here, oh God. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness that is with us all the time. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy, God, for your patience, Jesus. And I thank you, Lord. 
Lord, for the kingdom as a whole. I thank you, Lord, for your truth. I thank you, Lord, for laborers, God, in this kingdom. And I thank you, Lord, for this last day harvest that you want to give to your church, God, globally. I pray that your will be done here today. Lord, not my will, but thy will. God, that we would be so lost in your presence this morning that only you are seen in this thing. We give you all of the glory and the praise in Jesus' wonderful name. We pray. Would you clap your hands with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated if you'd like. I want to read it in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. I'll ask you to help me just a little bit today. If you, if you just maybe throw out an amen once in a while, it makes us feel like we're on track. Now, Saul waited seven days. I'm reading the Amplified Version, so it might be a little different if they don't have that up there. According to the appointed time which Samuel had set, but Samuel had not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering away from Saul. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, which he was not supposed to do. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel finally came. And Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, since I saw that the people were scattering away from me, that you did not come within the appointed time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked for the Lord's favor, so I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For if you had obeyed, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure the Lord has sought out for himself a man, speaking of David, after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as leader and ruler over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul assembled and counted the people who were still with him, only about 600 men. I'd like to preach to you on the topic, traditional church, traditional church. <clears throat> Let me recap, if I can, for you for a few moments so you understand where we're at. We are only a couple years after Saul was anointed king over Israel. And when you go back to chapter 10, you will find the first time Samuel gave instruction to Saul. And he said within seven days he would come. And he would make an offering and a sacrifice. So it would certainly appear that this was something that was a, 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 the norm. It wasn't out of the ordinary. It wasn't a one-time thing. And in this text, Saul, the Bible says, waited for seven days. And within seven days, which I will point out, it does appear that it was on day seven. So he didn't even wait to the end of the day. But Saul became anxious. Why he became anxious is the telling story, and it's very important that we understand. He became anxious because he was losing his supporters. He was losing his followers. His church was diminishing in size, and so it made him nervous. And because he became nervous, 
he stepped out and he did what he was forbidden to do, which was to make this burnt offering. Samuel came and Samuel immediately scolded him for what he had done. And Saul stated, the people were scattering away from me because you did not come within the appointed time. And then he also threw out the fact that the Philistines were gathering together against him. So it's very obvious what happens. He tells him that his kingdom will not continue. But he also told him, if you would have waited, you would have seen what the Lord would have done. He would have preserved your kingdom forever. When we get anxious because things look like they're out of control and we make moves that are not ordained by God, it robs us of something rather than helps us or benefits us. It's easy for me to say based off of just the things I've observed in my short lifetime that it would seem all around our world, churches and pastors and, and Christians alike are becoming anxious because of the things that we witness. And in many cases, what we have done, and this is not what I want to preach about, but what we've done is we have tailored our churches uh, to congregations rather than kept our focus on the word of God and on the kingdom of God, on his truth and on his word. Now understand, that is not a statement against this church. That's not, it's general. If you feel like it applies, and that's, that's up to you and the Lord. But Sam, Samuel says to him, you have not kept the Lord's commandment and you were foolish in what you did, so your kingdom will not endure. And the Lord has already sought out a man who was David that would take the kingdom because why? David had a heart after God. Now, verse 15 to me is the most disturbing verse in this text. And I don't know if you caught it with me. Maybe you did. But the Bible says Samuel got up and he went from Gilgal to Gibeah at Benjamin. Saul did not apologize. We understand a short time in the future when God takes his anointing from him. The Bible says that he grabbed Samuel's robe and he ripped it in trying to keep Samuel there. But we don't see that in this text. We actually don't even see Saul saying, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. We don't see anything. The first thing Saul does is he goes out and he numbers the, uh, the people. He numbers what he had left because Saul was only focused on his kingdom. He was only focused on preserving what he had. And when we become focused on preserving what we have rather than advancing the kingdom according to the will of God, then we are going to become focused in the wrong direction. And when you go back, you'll find it was just a, a chapter or two earlier that he had, I believe it was uh, 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 3,000 or 30,000 men. Uh, I wrote it down here somewhere, but I can't find it in my notes right now. Uh, so, so he became anxious, and as soon as Samuel left, he went and he began to count. Now, there's a couple of problems in this text that I want to point out to you other than the obvious the first problem is when Saul became anxious because he was losing supporters because his church was dwindling in size. When he became anxious at that, Saul became very carnal in his thinking. It's very easy to allow ourselves to become carnal in our thinking because we're carnal in nature. We are born in carnality, 
born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So we have, I often tell our church, we have to work hard to stay spiritual because it's not natural to be spiritual, but it's natural to be carnal. And so Saul's carnality rises up, and I've got my iPad wanting to say something to me here. He becomes carnal, and he rises up, and he, he puts on shoes that don't belong to him. When he made a sacrifice, he put on the shoes of the priest, and he wasn't the priest. He, he tried to do something that he wasn't called to do. One of the things that I have witnessed, and I may have done myself at times, I'm not sure, is, is I see people in the church world that are trying to step into shoes that God never made for them. And when we step into shoes that God doesn't make for us, we are going to lead the church, if you please, in a carnal direction. One of the things that I, I uh, began to take note of years ago was how many people now are hired into churches rather than called. I'm not just talking about an a, a apostolic church or Pentecostal church. I'm talking all across the denominal lines. I've had ministers talk to me about their applications that they were sending out everywhere. Hey, I got news for you. This is still God's kingdom. It's still God's word. And God still decides where we go. There was nobody in the book that put an application in to be hired into a certain ministry. But we have taken God's kingdom and we have carnalized his kingdom for man's benefit. And why? Because sometimes we're trying to do things that we're not called to do. Now, that's not my message either. But I'm telling you, that's how Saul got where he got. And that's how he wound up where he wound up. In his effort to preserve what was left, he lost everything. And in the end, we see Saul's constant downhill spiral. It took years, but over the period of time, he continued to decline as a man of God. And he continued to operate more as a carnal king and a ruler until he and his son died on a battlefield, an ugly death, a very sad death, a, a giant that had fallen because he became carnal in his thinking and traditional rather than spiritual. So Saul took a defensive posture just to preserve what was left. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, I'd like to read another nine verses here if I could, and then I'll try and expound for a few moments. Then some Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem came to Jesus and said, why do your disciples violate the tradition handed down by the elders? For your disciples do not wash their hands before they eat. So these uh, scribes, Pharisees, were men that presented their, op their uh, opposition under the disguise of zeal for Moses' law. They began to call out an act that had offended them, if you please, something that was drawn up under law, and they pretended as if they were passionate about preserving the law, but they were not. Everything they did was for personal gain. It, wasn't, it was not to, to protect re religious, uh, uh, um, uh, whatever you want to call it. And so it was the ecclesiastical law 
of the elders that they considered to be violated, but it became tradition. It wasn't, it wasn't holy. It wasn't rooted in God's word. And, and that's the point of the text here. And, and it was so, it was so stringent that they considered not washing your hands the equivalent to committing adultery. That's how bad they considered it to be. And, and they took it very personal. And so he goes on to say, Jesus replied and said, why also do you violate the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition handed down by your elders? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of or insults or treats improperly father or mother is to be put to death. Now, let me read to you how one commentator writes this. He says, those who are most zealous of their own impositions are commonly most careless of God's commands. Which is a good reason why Christians should stand guard against such impositions, lest, though at first they seem only to infringe the liberty of Christians, they come at length to confront the authority of Christ. To summarize that, he said that we should be careful to protect against these religious intrusions that speak nothing more than contrary to the authority of the word of God. They come against the word of God. These men were more concerned about someone not washing their hands because it was their tradition passed down by their elders than they were about violating the scripture when it comes to honoring your father and your mother. Now you might say, well, what was the violation? What did they do? Well, it was also within their rules, if you please, their tradition that, hey, you know, we think that you ought to, and God, I, you, you got to help me out here and just be very careful, all right, because it's good and it's appropriate to leave your church in your will, but I've got to explain this to you without poo-pooing that aspect of it, but to help you understand still what was happening. They wanted them to leave everything to the, to the ministry, to the priest, and to the church. And when their own parents had needs, they would say to them something to the effect of, well, you know, it's, 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 it, it, we'd love to help you, but we, we left our money to the, to the temple and, and for the use of, of the priesthood, so we can't do anything for you. And so Jesus was saying to them, you're worried about washing hands because it's your tradition, but my word says that you're supposed to honor your mother and your father, and you've left your mother and father, and you've abandoned them in the name of fulfilling tradition that the elders have passed down for generations. Are you with me? Yes. So this was the Lord's grievance to them. But you say, if anyone says to his mother or father, what, whatsoever money or resource I have, that would help you is given to God. I'd love to help you, but we've given it to the Lord. He, he is not to honor his father or his mother. So by this, you have invalidated the word of God, depriving it of authority for the sake of your tradition handed down by the elders. And so their tradition was there's no better way than to give your estate to the priests for the temple. Let me read to you. Uh, well, uh, let me finish verse 7. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, for they teach as doctrines the precepts of men. 
Now, I want to read a text to you out of Isaiah, but I, 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 want to, I want to bring something to light, if I may. And again, this is a very general statement. Please don't take it personal, but it may apply. And, and within our churches, I am worried personally that we are becoming more traditional. I'm worried that it's becoming more lip service and less heart service. I, I come across a message it was from the uh, a, a, a Baptist conference, and, and I started listening to this preacher. Man, he did a great job. I thought he was Pentecostal at first. And behind him on the platform sat a lady, and while he's, this man's preaching his heart out, she was back there with her mirror, and she was putting her chapstick on, and she was powdering up her face and checking herself to make sure she looked good and, and readjusting and fixing and all this stuff. And it's all plain as day because the camera... Uh, by default was right on her because she was right behind the preacher. And I thought, God, is this what we do to ourselves? Do we let ourselves become so traditional that the man of God can be preaching and he can preach his heart out and be in the Holy Ghost and we're still more interested in how I look and getting something accomplished, maybe paying some bills on the iPad or, or getting up and, and, and goo-gooing the baby or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense at all? Is it possible that we let ourselves get to the place where we come in and there's no prayer before we walk up on the platform and there's no seeking God before we, we get up here and we sing for his glory? Is it possible that we let ourselves become so traditional that we have violated the authority of the word of God in so many other spectrums? I'm going to tell you where I got this message from in just a few moments. This is what happened to Saul. Saul had allowed his crown to go so far to his head that he thought that he could violate the sovereign word of God. Now, before I go on, there's none of us here that I know of, and I hope you don't, that walks around with the crown. I had a lady once, God love her. She wanted to get her chaplaincy. So I said, okay. I thought she could do good. She wanted to go in the hospitals. And, and I found out recently, I thought they sent her a badge, but no, she ordered it and paid for it herself. And she put that badge on her jacket. Everywhere she went, she wore that badge. Everywhere. And I wanted to tell her, listen, sis, you're kind of making yourself look like a fool. It's gone to your head a little bit. You're not a detective. You're not secret service. You're not an undercover agent. You're a chaplain, and that's good. But let, let, let's not boast about it. It's kind of a crown, if you know what I'm saying. Where we go wrong is we are all in charge of our own lives. We're all in charge. That's how we're accountable by God. That's why the Bible says every man was judged according to their works, not their heart, their works. Because I have full control over my life. If I let my life go and I become carnal and I allow carnality to slip into my life, if I begin to justify things in my life, sin, nature, or actions, or whatever, then it's all on me because God gave me authority in my life. 
And he said that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I wasn't just supposed to pacify it. I wasn't supposed to get on the internet and Google it and see what a million other people have to say about this topic. But I was supposed to get a hold of God and pray until the Lord gives me some answers. That's how serious I take the word of God. And that's what happened to Saul. Whereas once he was little in his own eyes, his crown went to his head. And Saul thought, well, the man of God hasn't come. I, I'm the king. I can do this. I can make this sacrifice. He begun to be more traditional than he was godly. And it ruined the rest of his future. I was preaching in a church in Ohio. I don't want to say where it was. It was a church that uh, used to be a part of our organization and I'm, I'm not the guy that will say, if you're not in our organization, you're, you're not going to go to heaven. That's not me. But I do believe in organization very much. Even though it has its faults, I still believe in the structure of it. So the church had left the organization many years back. And, and I'm, I'm just telling you, I could bring the pastor in, and it has gone downhill. And it was actually a good friend of mine that wound up pastoring the church about right as COVID began. And so he had me come out and preach for him one day. And I was sitting in his office, and his door was open, and he wasn't there. And we were just waiting for church to start, and two ladies from the church walked by. And as sure as I'm standing before you today, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And so I began to open up my Bible, and I began to look. And I found where David referred to Saul as the mighty that had fallen. Why? Because the church became more traditional and it became less God driven. It wasn't so focused on the kingdom. It got caught up in, well, wait, what does that matter? And why does this matter? And why does that matter? You know what happens when my kids ask me why? I lose the Holy Ghost. That's what happens when they ask me why. There's, there's two things that will send me straight to hell if the Lord comes back at that moment. Why or whatever. Those two. God love my, I hope you ain't recording this. My son, I almost cleaned his clock last night when he said whatever in front of a couple of his friends. Oh, Lord, I was right up there in his business. Jesus, help me. I don't want to go to jail. We do that to God. Why does this matter? Whatever, that doesn't matter. Whatever, that's your opinion. But it's not opinion. If we will dig deep into the word of God, he's given us everything that we need to live by. He's given us the standard for living. Do you know why the law was brought into Israel? It was brought because before the law, every man did that which was right in their eyes. Their conscience was their guide. And God said, this isn't working. Because of your carnal nature, some of you don't even have a conscience and you just do whatever and I can't, I can't judge you because I've not given you a standard live, to live by. So God introduces the law. And what the law is, the law is an opportunity for you and me to live according to what it says. You don't believe me? Tell me the speed limit says 35 and you don't do 40 or 45. Then you see a cop and you decide to take advantage of the opportunity. And slow down. The law is an opportunity for us 
It's a benchmark. Saul had violated the law. This church, they had violated the law of God. I'm not being specific on anything. But I know what God spoke to me. And I've never forgot it because I don't ever want that to be our church. I don't ever want somebody to come in and see how far we have fallen from grace because we have abused grace. Because we've taken advantage of grace. I don't ever want somebody to come in because I have neglected my salvation. Because I have neglected worship. Because I have neglected the severity of the word of God. And every time it leaves the pulpit, whether you like the preacher or not, whether you like the topic or not, whether we like the message or not, it has been directed by God for the church in order to save those that believe. That's what the Bible says the preach word is about. And God's law brings us back into alignment with his will. That's what the law does, and that is what Saul violated. Now let me tell you where this message came from. You may think I'm corny if you want to. I'll be 50 in, in, in about a month, and I don't even care anymore. <laughs> so last year, I built a conference room and a prayer room off of my office. Well, I didn't do it. We had it done. It wouldn't be as nice if I did it. And when we got it finished, I just needed a place to pray in privacy. I don't know about y'all, but I love the prayer room this morning. I thank God for that prayer room this morning. I don't know what happened to the prayer room. It used to be over here. It's a nursery now. Uh, and I used to pray in the sanctuary because I love praying in the sanctuary, but we have a daycare, and it's chaos. People are passing back and through because the office is by, behind the sanctuary. I don't know who the dumb person was that did that. Me, sorry. So I couldn't handle the traffic anymore, so I, I told our trustees, I said, listen, you know, I want to build a prayer room. I said, we'll, it, we'll double. I use it as a conference room. We don't have one. So we got it done. And I was reading one day about Moses and the burning bush. And my interest became piqued. I've read it a million times, I'm sure. Preach from it. Put off thy shoes for thou art on holy ground. And I felt like the Holy Ghost began to deal with me and say, why was the ground holy? Well, you and I will all agree it was holy because God was there. The Lord had manifest his presence there. But do we consider that same level of holiness in the sanctuary during service? So I begin to think about the instructions to take his shoes off. The shoe, obviously, we wear these to protect our feet. And, you know, if you're outside and it's raining, you don't want your socks to get wet. But while you're walking, how much gum do you step in? How much animal feces might you step in and not even know it? Bird droppings, somebody spit there and you don't know. We don't know. We can't conceivably keep track of all of that. And so I'd be, as I thought about it, it dawned on me that God was saying to Moses, take your shoes off. I don't want you to bring the world into here. And so at that moment, I decided to consecrate my prayer room and my shoes go off. Now, when we come in for prayer before service on Sunday, I had them all ask me, do you want me to take your shoes off? It's, it's up to you guys. Because... Prior to that bush burning and prior to God showing up and speaking, 
An animal could have used that bush to relieve itself the day before. It wasn't holy then. It was only holy when God showed up. And so I decided if I want God to show up, I believe I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to hallow this ground and let it be my holy ground. And so my shoes go off. My oldest son, I love him. I think so thankful for him. He loves God. He has a heart for people. He loves people. I can't explain it to you. Uh, and, 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 and he instantaneously, when he comes in for prayer, and he always takes his shoes off too. I never asked him, never said a word to him about it. Now, how does that get to my message? Uh, you mind coming and playing for me? Just softly. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I was praying in there, and, and what I like to do is I'll, I'll kneel, I'll stand, I'll sit, I'll walk around, and I'm walking around my table, and I come around the corner, and there my shoes were by the door where I take them off, and I look, and the Lord spoke to me and said, don't let your conviction become tradition. And I thought about it. And I thought, God, I, I first took these shoes off because I wanted to hollow this ground. I can't let this just become a traditional act. I can't just show up in the prayer room and just let it become a thing that I do without understanding the sanctity of what I'm doing. Without understanding the real life impact of what I'm doing. I don't want to let myself go because it's so easy when we do this day in and day out and day in and day out. It's easy to lose the reverence for what we do. It's easy to lose the fear of God for what we're doing. It's easy to forget when I come into the sanctuary that God is going to show up if I let him. It's easy to forget that this place, what separates it from the world, isn't the four walls. It's the fact that we have sanctified this as the house of God. And I cannot let it become a carnal arena. It's got to remain the place where the church body gets a hold of God and God can show up and he can move. But we have become so affected by the world and their thinking. Even the church echoes it now. God's not the church building. God's not the church building. I know God isn't the church building. God wasn't the bush either. He was in the bush. And the bush is where he chose to show up and to speak to Moses. It wasn't a conversation where you jump on Facebook and you message somebody, they message you back. You pick up the phone, you call their number, they call you back. No. God, who always was, always will be, for the billions that have passed on into eternity, He was then. And for the billions more that will pass on, He is now. When He returns... And he takes this world from us and moves us on into an eternal hope. He will still always be. He's not my buddy. He's not my friend. He's not my pal. He's not the big guy upstairs. He's God. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shammah. He is that which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty.
He is the beginning and the ending. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And when I step into the sanctuary, I've got to let myself remember who it is that I claim to be worshiping today. Who am I preaching under today? Who am I playing for? Who am I singing for? I cannot let the church become a traditional church. It can't become a church of tradition. And if we're not careful, what we begin through conviction, like your walk with God, can be nothing more than tradition because we've lost the conviction of the process. I still remember the day I walked through that door right there. I can tell you what I was wearing. It's a pair of jeans and a green and white shirt. I still remember when God called me and put his hand on my life. I remember all of the things that he overlooked because of mercy. I remember despite being who I was with so little knowledge or understanding of anything, he still chose to call me. And for many years, Sister Sarah, I could not understand why God called me. I couldn't understand how people could call me pastor. I couldn't, I couldn't process it until one day I felt like God just reminded me you were willing. If you ever change that willingness, if you ever change the humility you had when you first came to the Lord, you weren't worried about what God cared about. You'd have given him anything. If you walked to this altar for the first time and your pastor said, God will not receive you unless you take your shirt off first. You're taking it off without thinking twice about it, without caring about embarrassment or anything. Because of the humility of being a baby in the Lord. But oh, it's only the we adults. I often like to, I mean, I'm almost done. I like to quip that we expect our children to do what they're told. That might not be the case anymore. But we don't like to do what we're told because we're adults. We can argue. I'm my own man now. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I always try to remind myself Always let somebody tell you what to do. Don't become so independent in your own thinking that you think you can step into Samuel's shoes and make a sacrifice that you're not ordained to make or called to make. Don't become so traditional that you go through the formality and you go through the process. The longer Saul's kingdom dwindled, he never gave up the business in the temple. He only added more altars he never gave up the business of the temple. Solomon, all the wisdom in the world could not keep him from his carnality taking over because somewhere along the line, this wise man forgot who it was that stood before the Lord and said, God, I don't know how to lead these great people. They weren't a bunch of heathens then. They weren't a burden then. They were great people. I don't know how to come. I don't know how to go. Can you help me? Because he revered 
the kingdom of God, but he lost it. If we're going to have revival, if we're going to grow our churches in this last hour, we cannot lose our convictions and let them become traditions. We cannot just traditionally walk up to the platform, traditionally get down on our knees for 30 seconds or 60, get back up and do what we do every week, walk back to the same seat, sit back down, a few amens, and we go home, and not much has changed. But we have got to hold fast to our convictions. Everybody in this place has got something somewhere in your life the Lord spoke to you. You can't let that go. I wonder if you stand with me. Would it be appropriate, Sister Sarah, if we ask everybody to come to the front for a few minutes? I want to know if you'll break the tradition of whatever it is you do at the end of service, just for a few moments. And as you come, I would ask you to reflect upon your relationship with the Lord. Reflect on your walk with God. Reflect on the first time the Lord called you. I know it's easy to lose sight of it all in the busyness of life. I know it's easy to forget who we are and what we are. But we're not just somebody. We are a chosen generation. We've got to start living like we're chosen and living like we're royalty and living like we're a child of God and not allowing tradition to interfere with my convictions. The Word of God has got to trump everything in our lives. I want us to pray together if it's okay. And I want us just to pray that the Lord will help us to see this morning any tradition that has crept into our lives. Maybe we have just, without even realizing it, allowed ourselves to become more traditional in our ways. Jesus, I don't want to lose the conviction for your holy word of God. Even if I don't understand it, God, I want to hold fast upon that. Lord, I don't want to lose the conviction of being a child of God in this generation. I don't want to lose the conviction when I step into the prayer room and I get down on my knees and I cry holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Don't let me go through the motions, God. Let my spirit be stirred in me today. Let my heart be stirred in me today, oh God. Move me from my seat of tradition. And let the Holy Ghost. Would you begin to speak in the spirit right now? Pray in the spirit right now. It may have been a long time for you. It might be a daily thing. I don't know. But let the presence of God. Hallelujah. Can you sing for us, Brother Aaron? 
break the tradition of coming up for a couple minutes and going back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. in your hands fullness of joy. Every fear suddenly wiped Hallelujah. 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 We are standing. This is not a church. It's holy ground right now. Holy it's holy ground right ground. now. Hallelujah. And I know that there, there are angels are all around. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us praise. Let's praise him. Let's praise him, Jesus. Jesus now. Jesus. Hallelujah. We are standing in his presence on neighbor's shoulder right now, whoever they are, if it's appropriate, and just pray with them. Don't pray for them. God is moved by unity. Hallelujah. On a holy ground. And I know know that there are angels in this place right now. Feel them in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let us pray. Jesus now. We are standing on holy ground we are standing on holy ground and I know with you and I'm going to put the microphone down and let you pray. 
I feel like I should share it with you. A couple weeks ago, I was in a church. And I, I, I waited. I stayed towards the back until they called me up. And while I was in the back, while worship was going on, now you can think I'm a kook if you want, but I've always tried to condition myself to hear from the Lord. And if I go any season of time where I'm not hearing from the Lord, I get nervous. And the Holy Ghost began to show me in the church building that there was a, a spirit that was warring for authority in the church. And I saw it as plain as day, and I walked up to the pastor, and I said, this is what God has shown me. And I said, and if you're, if you're okay with it, I said, this is the direction I'm going to be preaching tonight. And he said, you're 100% right, and you preach. And so I got up, and I preached, and, and I touched on it just for a few moments. And at the end, and I'll just make it quick, this man walked by me, and he shook my hand, and the pastor followed up. And he told me who he was, and he said, this man just told me that he was... Two, two weeks ago that he was leaving and, and they've challenged us since we've been here and it's been a battle and all of these issues and, and, and so on and so forth and the reason I'm telling you this if you want to have a move of God there's got to be a unified effort behind the man of God and his wife and his family and guess what we don't always get it right. We're not always at the top of our game. We're like a parent. When you're sick, you still go at it. When you don't want to, you still go at it. But we need mercy from the church too. But if you need this church to go on, you've got to stand behind them 100% because that's the book. That's the word. Tradition has no business causing discord in a church. Stand behind their children. Pray for them. I asked that church at the end of that service. And I feel like I should put this forward to you. I said, I, I want to encourage you, challenge you, get a calendar. And hang it up somewhere in the back of the church. And write your name down. And every day have somebody praying for the pastor and his family. Every day, make sure that calendar is filled. Do you know why? It's not because they're special. It's not because we're better than everybody else. It's because we're trying to fulfill God's call to the best of our ability. And the amount of pastors that are getting brutalized and, 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 and leaving ministry is astounding. It's astounding. So could we, would you lift your hands and pray one more time? I'm going to put this mic down. And would you ask God to let conviction drive this church today? Maybe it already is, I don't know, but reiterate it. If you'd sing one more time for us, Brother Aaron. Let conviction drive you. Let it drive you. Shake the dust of tradition. Decide in yourself, I will worship more than I ever have worshipped before. I will dance before the Lord with all of my might like David did. Hallelujah.
You know, when Brother Ardery said about churches have become a traditional church, I just felt it hit me that I wonder if the church has become a traditional church because Christians have become traditional Christians. We are the church. A lot of people like to point blame and it seems like the man standing up front is the one that is the target. But the pastor isn't the church. We are the church. Can you just point to yourself? I am the church. I am the church. Brother Ardery, thank you so much for bringing God's word to us. You, you, have, you have brought conviction onto my, onto my heart, onto my thinking. You know, at, at work, we always say, when there's a problem, are you a part of the problem or a part of the solution? I want to be a part of the solution. Lord, look down on me. Show me what I have been made, what was conviction that I have made tradition. Lord, give me that conviction. Give me that conviction. Give me that leading. Lord Jesus, give me that leading. Oh, Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your conviction. Lord, Lord, for your instruction to us, Lord, the church. Pray, Lord, that you would continue, Lord, your word over us, your word on us, and your word in us. Lord, that this word might be written on our hearts, that it would change our lives from this day forward. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.